Jimmy G will start a lot. He's obviously quite you know hygienic, like uh, nice to look. Hygienic. At. I think you mean photogenic. Although I suppose he has to be hygienic if his love life is to be believed. Uh, Who? Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. Look, we know who's in the Super Bowl, but we know what's most important. Pro Bowl time. So, hey, we got Connor here, and we got Fitz. Hello. How you getting on, Chad? Any cracked in a cork? Oh, yeah. Not too bad. Just tipping away. It's a bit cold down here at the moment, but, uh, you know, get the warm-up about the, alongside the good football and, uh, obviously, the Pro Bowl hype oh, uh, yeah. that we're all getting excited for this week. The real competition finally begins. True. And to be honest, it's heartbreaking that a lot of my Chiefs have made the Pro Bowl this year, but uh, hopefully next year. Yeah, like, it's, it'll be so disappointing that, like, Patrick Mahomes will miss out the most important game of his career. No, of course. Um, yeah, kind of chilling out here, getting back to the gym, which is fun. But uh, what, what I'm loving is the, the new gym that I'm going to. It's near near my new gaff here in Iraq. They have a lovely little section in the middle that's heated just in between the weights and the cardio machines for all the lads who are a bit tired to sit down and smoke cigarettes in. There's there's lads who are like out doing their deadlifts and then while the other guy works in doing his deadlifts, he goes over and smokes a cigarette and chats with the owner and then goes back and does his next set. It's an interesting approach to fitness. I like it. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, just, just at that, getting back in the swing of things, work is getting slightly less hectic now, so so that's a plus. And then obviously, of course, there's the, the lovely news that my Chiefs have uh, made the Super Bowl first time in 50 years, and very, very excited for it. Should be an excellent game, them versus the 49ers. Uh, but obviously, we'll, we'll, we'll preview that next week. The big one this week is going to be the, the, the Pro Bowl, obviously, and any other bits of news that we have from around the league. So we will come back to the Super Bowl stuff later on, but we'll fly around for other bits of news. So first up, injuries. As we can imagine, there's not a lot of game-relevant injuries at the moment, but San Francisco's running back, Tevin Coleman, uh, who injured his shoulder, reckons he has a good chance to play in the Super Bowl. I believe it was a dislocation. So apparently it's one of those, I suppose, nice, clean pop-outs. So yeah. able to pop, pop it back it in and rub some dirt on it. It basically it hadn't had much effect, so... The, basically, the, the, the reports coming out of San Francisco right now are, are that it, it looks good, that it was a clean pop-out. If you pop back in, and there's a very good chance to be able to play in the Super Bowl. However, uh, given that you know their replacement backup, well, replacement slash 1B running back Raheem Mostert went for over 200 yards, I'm not really sure that they're going to be that worried if he misses anyway in the end. No, it's uh, it's it's nice to have that kind of depth to rotate around if you want that you you know your starter in quotes goes down, so then you have a 200 yard four touchdown outing from your backup. That's a it's a nice one to have. There's a couple of transactions around the league, so this one, good God, the poor fuckers, the Giants have decided to hire Dallas head coach Jason Garrett to be their offensive coordinator. So Garrett's obviously been with the Dallas organization for what 12 years, a constant like eight and eight monster with a variance of one to two games max very uninspiring head coach maybe they can get a little bit more out of him as offensive coordinator where he doesn't have to do as much management but like it's not a guy who's looked to be innovating and changing things and really kind of you know on the cutting edge or anything I've always felt that his coaching was actually holding back their offense both in the Romo times and in the more modern era with uh, with Zeke and uh, et al you know like someone who was creating an offense that blew the doors away like I think given the personnel they have obviously they have Saquon Barkley they have Daniel Jones but I think Daniel Jones is still taking a bit of time to develop so 
he is obviously someone who has created an offenses that put the running back first and build around the run game and has done that quite successfully with Ezekiel Elliott. So I think if they're bringing in Jason Garrett, I'd imagine that might be what they what they might be looking to do. And considering obviously that that their new head coach Joe Judge is from the New England tree where they haven't tended to have those kind of high explosive offenses, they've generally more been you know established a run, particularly more recently. It, that that kind of fits with that as well. He's obviously an experienced coach. I don't think players dislike them much, or at least on offense, people seem to like them all right. But yeah, I don't think you're getting someone who's going to blow the doors off and create something really exciting. And when you look at like these college coaches coming into the league, and you look at some of the more innovative stuff happening in places like Baltimore, you'd be a little bit concerned that the Giants, yes, the Saquon train and good an offensive line could get them where there. But when you know when you're trying to get people excited about the New York Giants, it might be a little bit of an issue. But hey, if you're winning games, no one really cares if you're running the ball. No, of course, and, and obviously this is picking up a longtime head coach of a division rival, so they're probably hoping to get some information on you know how Dallas organize, how their like where their strengths and weaknesses are from him. And additionally, now if you weren't if you weren't already sold on the idea of Jason Garrett as the offensive coordinator, you haven't heard that it sounds like Jason Witten is very interested in moving with him. Now, yeah, they have everything I don't think they need fucking Jason Witten. When, when, when you can get a, like a milk toast offensive coordinator and also get a 55 year old tight end with him at the same time, like that's that's a nucleus you can build around. You well, know? like at least it keeps Witten out of the out of the booth. So it's true. It's true. Other movements is uh, Chicago. So we mentioned that Jacksonville parted ways with John DiFilippo. So he's been picked up as the QB's coach for Chicago again. Like we yeah. mentioned beforehand. That, Obviously, Nagy seems to hold the reins on the offense there, and there's not really a huge amount you'd expect out of an offensive coordinator there. This is a QB coach who's meant to be helping work out the kinks in the game. Like, John Filippo's tenure in Jacksonville has been pretty much just abject failure at the position of managing quarterbacks. Like, he's had Bortles. They extended Bortles, never really got anything out of him, apart from that one season where they kind of hit him and just ran Leonard Fournette the whole time. Then they pick up the quarterback, Nick Foles, to bring in. And he, he gets injured. And then when he comes back, just doesn't perform underneath him. Their, their, their biggest success was letting a sixth-round rookie who no one expected anything out, particularly not Filippo as a coach, letting him take the reins. And him, for the most part, let's be honest, improvisationally and just trying to working around a, a bad a bad offensive system. Like, surely, if anything, John Filippo is more likely to regress Trubisky then to actually develop him. Look, I would go that far. He's had some success, obviously, in Philadelphia, where obviously he was almost been talked about as a head coach candidate. I think he interviewed for the Bears job when Matt Nagy was interviewing for it. Um, I think the most interesting thing here, he's obviously a big name. They brought in Bill Lazor as their offensive coordinator, as we talked pew, about pew, last week. Pew, pew. Yeah, pew, pew, exactly. That's great. Well, anyway, uh, Matt Nagy obviously is going to still be pulling the strings here. He's obviously the person who's going to have a lot of control here. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, getting these kind of more, I suppose, more established names in means that Matt Nagy's going to take a step back, but I don't see it happening. I don't really, maybe these guys have been brought in to kind of, for their, their ability to develop players as a skills player, but, you know, these are both, like, both Laser and Filippo are guys who are used to play calling plays, so it'll be interesting to see how much they chafe underneath Matt Nagy when he is basically doesn't seem that willing to let them do what they want. No. Uh, but obviously John DiPilippo is from the Philadelphia slash Andy Reid tree, so there should be at least some familiarity and commonality across those schemes. So we'll have to see, to be honest. Yeah, like, do, like it, it, it's probably a spot where there is going to be limited overall 
input. Like it's going to be, it, it, it's not even an offensive coordinator job. It's a, it's a quarterbacks coach. So we'll, we'll see what happens from there. Uh, Arizona have decided to extend Larry Fitzgerald. Great stuff to hear that he's still going to be in the league. Sad that he's still going to be with the Arizona Cardinals. But hey, look, loyalty and, and all that. It's a one year deal worth up to 11 million. And to be honest, in this year gone, while there wasn't maybe as much of the consistency in, in, in the production, there was still, you saw an individual game so just go off and there still is the skill set there of a, of a top wide receiver, albeit a little bit slower than he once was. He did add something important there, especially as Kyler Murray developed as in a safety valve, someone that he'd go to underneath. Like I think Kyler doesn't really think that way. He doesn't really drop it off perhaps as much as he should. And I think having Larry Fitz around one more year to kind of, just gotta get him used to doing that at the NFL level and not going for the big play either with his feet or in the air every time was useful like he got 800 yards four touchdowns he didn't do a huge amount but I think just having that underneath guy who does precise routes and can get you used to can get Kyler used to being an NFL style quarterback and making those precise throws those timing based throws will be important like obviously it's an offense that doesn't emphasize those but at some point you need to add that to your game if you're going to execute so Look, Larry Fitz is a legend. He's earned all the money he wants in the world and all the time he wants in the world in Arizona. And long may it continue that he gets to, you know, continue to have fun there. Because apparently, by all reports, he enjoyed this year being in a more dynamic offense. I suppose it's easy after the offense they had the year before. So hopefully uh, he gets to have more fun going forward. And, you know, Arizona are, are an interesting, fun team for 2020, I imagine. So uh, I think, yeah, it's good to see that they haven't lost a big piece here. Going to punishment, what are they up to? Probably, I really trumped up misdemeanors. Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, I, I initially had a simple battery misdemeanor warrant, I think it was, put out for him. Because uh, yeah. he slapped the butt of a security guard after the LSU win in the college football. To be fair, like, it was a stupid thing to do. It just looks like, you know, OBJ wanting to be in the middle of the spotlight again, trying to make himself visible and seen at these events. The guard seemed to just be being a bit of a knob to one of the players who was, I think, smoking a cigar inside in the changing rooms. DA has obviously decided not to pursue it. The guard has dropped his charges, so he's presumably gotten a couple of grand to just bugger off at this point, which is probably the intention from the get-go. Look, it seems like a very silly story that, like, you know, OBJ was down partying at this thing and then, like, made an arse of himself, essentially, and kind of being correctly treated, it's kind of gone away or at least been dropped down to, like, this is probably not a, you know, pleading court situation. It's not the first time that someone's butt has been smacked in a college or any football locker room or any sports locker room of any type and in American football in particular there's plenty of butt padding going on on the field off the field wherever you're going and yeah it's a stupid thing to do but you know I think in this case you know OBJ LSU he's an LSU alum they just won the college football championship he was like throwing dollar bills around which has NCAA implications but all those players are you know uh, <laughs> obviously some of those players are going to be back next year so having lots of dollar bills being thrown around by OBJ could get them into trouble because how stupid the NCA rules are but yeah that case, was one thing that popped into my head of like should he be giving them money yeah but like look OBJ was obviously he's OBJ he, he's had a tough year he's obviously got a party out with his alumni do well and uh, I think the guard obviously he uh, probably said something the DA picked it up and then either through public pressure or a bit of money as you say 
and the guard dropped the case. Now, obviously, you don't officially drop criminal cases, uh, but once the primary witness chooses not to testify, then the case basically drops by itself, and that's what the DA has said. Like, let's be honest, if, if this had gone further, like, I suppose it would be a useful lesson for OBJ and for people in general, but, yeah, it would never have really gone further than perhaps, like, a little bit of, like, a fine, probably, anyway. So, yeah. you know, a valuable lesson for OBJ. Let's see if he, uh, if he learns uh, anything from it. No, of course. And in Controversy Corner, Antonio Brown has been dropped by his agent Drew Rosenhaus he says he's cut ties with the player and he won't work with them again until he seeks counselling this is obviously off the back of Antonio Brown has been a heavy feature in our controversy corner this year with everything from calling the owner calling his team owner a cracker to basically uh, witness intimidating his way out of New England to just pretty much everything that could go wrong in a year has gone wrong. He's clearly not all there at the moment and uh, needs to get some help. And hopefully this might push him a little bit towards that, given that this would be a suggestion that he's definitely not getting back playing until he uh, until he sorts some of this stuff out. Yeah, and apparently at the moment he's trying to, try to create a, a music career from nothing. Uh, and the uh, reviews aren't very strong, apparently, for his first uh, LP. Oh, is his so, mixtape not Pure yeah, Fire? Uh, see what happens here but uh, yeah I think Antonio Brown probably isn't going to be in football if he doesn't if his agent won't even stick with him yeah, no, it's, it's a bit of a mess. And finally, uh, Tennessee defensive coordinator Dean Pease has retired after 16 seasons in the NFL. He was with New England, Baltimore and Tennessee. He's had a very good, consistent uh, production throughout his, his time as defensive coordinator. I don't think... I think He's never had a defense ranked lower than 12th in the NFL overall. He had a strong showing this year with, you know, good performances, even if there wasn't 100%. Like, they didn't have all the talent in the world on that defense. They didn't have the pass rushers, maybe, that they needed to get the scheme working. But he, he performed very well and took the took the Tennessee team a lot further than anyone would have expected. And, yeah, like 16 seasons. Surprised he didn't get more of a look in for, like, a head coaching type of position. Well, like, I think he, he spent a long time in the college game before he even came into the NFL. Mm. I think he said, like, he's been at, at football for 47 years in total. I think it's probably fair enough to say he's run his course. And like, yeah, like, you know, there are just certain guys who are just better at this. They never get the opportunity. They just end up, you know, going going after they feel like they, they can't go anymore. And uh, yeah, Dean P, he was a good defensive coordinator in New England and in Baltimore and now in Tennessee. But, you know, like, you know, if you look at a, like a career trajectory like Bruce Arians, he nearly never became a head coach. And we saw what he could do when he was given the opportunity. But in this case... Things just didn't turn out that way. And the only other one is that we're currently, as we're recording, getting drip-fed the information about the uh, Las Vegas draft. Basically, so at the moment, what we're hearing is the plan is to hold it in the fountains at the Bellagio and have the players brought to the stage by a boat. Uh, close off a large section of some of the some of the boulevard there for the three days. And Look, it sounds like they're going to go for it big style, but it also sounds like absolute fucking lunacy. The, the new new Vegas, I suppose, atmosphere experience is going to be very interesting for the draft, especially because you know this is supposed to be a preview of what's going to be like to have a team there, and this is an interesting start to that experiment with their like the uh, the Las Vegas Raiders and their dark black obelisk stadium, mm. and now uh, this kind of thing at the Bellagio. Like I, I don't know what's going to happen in New Vegas with the Raiders and with this draft, but. Uh, it should be fun to watch regardless. No, it should be it should be an interesting one. So uh, looking forward to that. So I suppose we best get on and have a look at the games from uh, from this weekend. 
So, uh, first up, we have Tennessee at Kansas City, 24 to 35. Kansas City win, and they win the Lamar Hunt Trophy for the first time, named after their owner, or rather their, 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 their owner's father, who was the original owner of the team. I think he was big in setting up the, uh, the, the AFL and then merging into the NFL. I think he coined the term Super Bowl at the start and everything. So it's the first time that they've actually won the trophy that bears his name. So it's, uh, it's nice to finally get that monkey off the back. But Mahomes just had an incredible day, just short of 300 yards passing, 53 yards rushing, four touchdowns. Yeah, just, Huge, huge, huge plays where they were needed. They once again fell into a slight hole and went down by 10. They were winning when it went to the second half following. And like just a remarkable little scramble play from him where he went up the sidelines. And to be fair, was helped by some atrocious tackling from the Tennessee team. I think if you want to contrast what happened as this game went from Tennessee having the advantage early on to KC slowly having their will and imposing their will on Tennessee. You've you got to contrast what happened there. So you have like Patrick Mahomes in a situation where they do a pretty good job of containing them and obviously like and coverage downfield meant that Patrick Mahomes went to the scramble. But then he goes out right onto the tippy toes off the sideline, goes and then salams his way through the defense. And yeah, there's a pretty shitty tackle attempt from Tennessee. And then you contrast that to Casey's defense, which has obviously been improving as the year has gone on. Like Ryan Tannehill, oh god, time, yeah, he he came out uh, scrambling after you know basically the play broke down. He got and on a long third uh, down, I believe, and then he came in and he got to, like about halfway there, and then Dirty Dan Sorensen came in and leveled him down. Oh yeah, I don't think I don't think Tannehill was going to get up again. So no, if you look at he got banished to the shadow realm on that one. <laughs> yeah. Like, obviously, Arrowhead is a tough place to play with all the noise and the fans. And obviously, it was pretty cold in this game as well. Like, mm-hmm. uh, Ryan Tannehill, uh, after that <laughs> game, was moving his, uh, going through his playbook with his nose on the tablet. Just um, to try and keep his hands in the gloves, yeah. Yeah. Yes, that could probably count for some bit, But I think given where we've seen this Tennessee team be, it was just, I think it's really, uh, I think, great for a KC fan or for people who believe in the Kansas City as, as, you know, as the favourite is that they showed up tough as well as having those explosive plays that's continuing to have those kind of ridiculous high plays. I think that's like the difference between like a team like Kansas City in a game like this and say a team like the Rams in last year's Super Bowl where Kansas City, they can tough it out if they need to but they have that Patrick Mahomes magic at any time, which means you can get a touchdown in an instant. And I think on defense in particular, you're also seeing a much tougher team as well. So you, like, you contrast that Patrick Mahomes run and the absolutely ridiculous he comes and the soft tackling from that Tennessee defense mm-hmm. to that massive hit at Ryan Tannehill and how he wasn't really able to get going in this game. And you kind of see, uh, I suppose, a visual metaphor for how this mm-hmm. game went once the second half got going. It and does. just... It, it does remind me a lot of something that I remember uh, hearing a couple of people talk about in previous um, postseason runs where the Chiefs were there of like the difference between them and the New England teams is that New England knew that like in the playoffs they let the plays go a little bit longer a little bit harder they don't blow everything as often and you need to play with a bit more of an edge and I think a bit of experience in the playoffs lets you kind of see that and play that little bit more aggressively whereas Tennessee did look like I said like on that Mahomes scramble they looked almost like one, one of them didn't even put their hands on him and just dived across in front of them like there was a little bit of yeah. 
trepidation in it, like almost like, and like you said, Arrowhead's a difficult place to go to, but maybe the, the just the the, the the setting and 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 the scale of it maybe got a little bit too much yeah. to them. So the hope was obviously Tennessee's defense did a pretty decent job at the start to try and stop the big plays from happening, but Mahomes obviously was able to kind of get loose. They constantly were sending three and four after him, which were just never enough. Like he was bootlegging out to the sides and getting around them pretty well. Their defensive plan initially was, and like everyone expected, was just to run Derrick Henry as much as they can and set up the play action. The Chiefs defense did a decent job of bottling him up, so he was only held to 69 yards in this game, so less than four yards a carry. Tannehill, 200 yards and two touchdowns, one of which was quite late garbage time type stuff. But um, yeah, just overall, like the Kansas City defensive line was getting in there. I think they had three sacks and a lump of hurries. Having Chris Jones back was good, even if he was only in for pass rushing downs as he's working his way back from a calf injury. And uh, Frank Clark came up big with a massive sack in the fourth quarter. So, um, like, overall, yeah, pretty... As a Chiefs fan, I'm very happy with this performance. If I'm a Titans fan, I'm looking at it and I'm seeing probably where the limitations of a Tannehill-led, like, run-first 1970s offense is, where it can get knocked down and the fact that they yeah. that they don't they don't have an alternative if that type of game isn't working like here where our defense managed to take away a lot of what they wanted to do they don't have an alternative to go to which i think was what what what, what left them stuck particularly in the second yeah. half and, and it was and, they, and people were talking about this on twitter like tennessee mostly did what they've done uh, successfully in the first half they were controlling the clock they they had the clock they were running the ball pretty well though Derrick Henry never had that huge run that he's had in previous games. So Kansas City, like, they were probably giving, like, they weren't, like, getting to him instantly. But when they did get to him, they were stopping him. Mm. They were gang, like, like gang-piling him. And so I think, you know, they were controlling the clock. They were doing their game. Like, they didn't do bad. Obviously, you know, they came into the first, like, into the, sec- into the second half, like, with 20 points. That's pretty good, like, overall. But the problem is, is that on the other side, you have a team who's capable of going off on every single play. Like in Tennessee, with the exception of Derrick Henry when he gets those big runs, they don't really have that explosive play unless they can lean on the play action. And I think, you know, they're a team that once they get their gets ahead, they kind of they've been used to just be able to sit on the lead and think, well, we can own this lead, our defense and our run game will get it done. And Kansas City were like, nah, whatever, I'm Patrick Mahomes, I'm gonna get like huge throws, I'm gonna do a stupid run at the end of the second half, I'm just gonna annihilate you to I suppose I won't say pure talent alone, but with a you know transcendental level of talent. But like, you know, the other big defensive fail from the Tennessee Titans was uh, the big touch stand at Sammy Watkins where basically Sammy Watkins pushed him over kind of and the player just fell over giving him basically open coverage and Patrick Mahomes basically while getting more or less hit just threw it up with his arm cannon uh, without any issue at all and like leading that big touchdown those are the kind of plays where you know just one mistake one fail and suddenly you're giving up seven points oh, that's yeah. the difference between uh, a team like like Tennessee with the exception of Derrick Henry when he gets going sometimes and a team like Kansas City. Yeah, and then that, that that's for for any of you eagle-eyed watchers. That is uh yes, that's that's the rarely spotted Sammy Watkins touchdown. He's allowed to score one every yeah, 3 like, months. So he had that he, he had, had that like three touchdown game in September and then nothing until was it last week he scored a touchdown or something? Yeah, like he had, he had seven receptions for 114 yards, but objectively he actually had a number of drops that were quite annoying as well. So, yeah, yeah. Like 
I think that, that for me, like we'll talk more in the preview uh, next week, but I do think the difference, like Kansas City obviously have their, their, their triplet of uh, Mahomes, Hill and Kelsey, but I think the difference between a, a team like Green Bay, who we'll talk about at the moment, and Kansas City is that even if their other pieces are nowhere near as good, they are explosive. When they do something right, mm. things go really right. Yeah. Um, so I think for Tennessee, they're gonna. I think they should stick with Tannehill unless they like someone drops them in a draft they really love. I think they can be an effective team, and if the defense can get some more talent to kind of shore up that New England model that they're basically going for, they could definitely be competitive. And Mike Rabel, I think, is a good coach, perhaps even a great coach, uh, if given enough time. So I wouldn't go away from what they are right now, but I just think, yeah, sometimes you come against a team and in particular a quarterback who just won't be denied and you know in this case you know Kansas City have been waiting for someone like that for so long and obviously the excitement is building for two years but now finally get the chance to see it see if he can do it uh, one more time on the biggest stage of all no of course and now we'll move on uh, following on from the AFC game quite excited so I didn't watch this one live uh, also it was like three o'clock in the morning Green Bay at San Francisco, 20-37, to and a scoreline that probably flatters Green Bay in their performance in this game. Uh, Sam Fran absolutely hammered them. They were leading 34-7, to like, going into the fourth. It was ridiculous to me. Like, their ground game destroyed them. Like we said, their backup running back had over 200 yards and, like, four touchdowns. They were averaging nearly eight yards per carry. They just didn't bother throwing. I think there was literally eight pass attempts for Jimmy Garoppolo in this. It was crazy. Like the for San Fran, it was just everything was working. Their rotation on the defensive line was causing disruption and causing issues. Their run game was going, so they didn't even need to use Kittle or or, or, or Jimmy G all that much. But for the Packers, what I don't get is you saw it in little spots here and there that like they had the they had the ability to, to make these throws. Rogers made some lovely throws at times. They were getting receivers open at times. Yet for some reason they came in and their game plan made absolutely no sense to me. There was constant passing behind the behind the, the, the downs marker or passing into the backfield hoping to slip people free on screens. Like they are a they are a root running finesse offense. They're not a speed out of the backfield trick them with that offense. Like get the run game going a little bit. And look, it wasn't it wasn't terrible for them at all. Like they've got Devontae Adams out there. They've got Rodgers. Why did Matt Lafleur come into this and think? Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drop a game plan that focuses on probably the weaker aspects of our offense and also plays into the hands of the defense that these guys are going to bring at us. And then, essentially, adjusts for one drive at the start of the second half and then just goes back to it after that. I think, to, to a certain extent, he he maybe feels that he was forced into it. I think he obviously... I think when the Packers have been at their best this year, they've leaned on the run game, and the run game was actually fine, but of course... Once the you know San Francisco got out into a big lead, then you slowly start to get rid of the ability of Aaron Jones to do much in the game, and then you have to involve in something like the screen game, where to be fair, he's had some really good games, but against a team like San Francisco with a good defense, it didn't really happen. But I think like I think like the first quarter, Green Bay looked okay. They didn't look like they were about to get absolutely hammered. They certainly had some issues against the run game early, but they didn't look completely disastrous. But that second quarter um, was just a complete. Uh, crap show. So they had a fumble on, on on third down that they were lucky to recover early in the second quarter. Yeah, there was a pick late in the second quarter, and in between that, there was like 
an inexplicable botched handoff. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that. To yeah. Green Bay, where basically it just looked like they didn't know what they were doing. Like, like let's be honest, like like the current San Francisco Stadium isn't one of the loudest in the NFL. It's not an Arrowhead, it's not a Century Link. It's it, it's fine. So I don't know what was going on there, but I think maybe just the offensive line and Rogers were spooked by how well this 49ers um, obviously front was getting to them again and again. Like even though they only ended up with three sacks. You could see and sense the pressure on Rodgers again and again, like on that fumble, for example. I think he's not a bad quarterback by any stretch, but he doesn't have that transcendental ability to kind of maneuver out of the pocket to kind of escape, like, inescapable situations anymore. I think that showed up, and I, you know, I don't know if he can kind of play that way anymore. So I think for Green Bay, you know, I, I, I struggle. I, I, I'm not going to, like, Grab them too much because I do think that at the end of the day, their offensive talent is so concentrated in those three players of Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, and Devontae Adams. And, and like, if you're going into this offseason, if you're asking how are they going to close the gap after getting walked by the 49ers twice in one season, then for me, the big question is they've invested a lot of money and a lot of picks into the into the defense it's now time to start investing stuff particularly at the tight end and the wide receiver position yeah. and try and get some help for Rodgers he's getting older he's losing a step he's still a great quarterback he can still be really effective but you need to give him more weapons he can trust what, think, like, Rogers, what about maybe think, like Hunter Henry is being because he's he's free agent after this isn't he unless he yeah. gets tagged so someone like that where when he's good he'll be he'll be very good for them but they might get him but a little it, cheaper it's also a challenge for Aaron Rodgers because his reputation is not as someone who brings these guys along as someone he's someone who apparently just if you don't do it my way, you go into the doghouse. If he wants to go to another Super Bowl, he's going to need, like, they either need to spend a lot of money putting guys who already know their shit around him, and that's hard in free agency because there's so few, you know, good free agents at that level, or he needs to book up and take more of a leadership role here. It seems like him and LaFleur got better, got along better than he did with Mike McCarthy, but, you know, I think that relationship definitely needs to take a definite step up because he did look kind of sullen at times this year if they're going to go to the next level. Because in this game, you just saw, like, you know, I predicted it last week, I think you just saw the distance between, like, a solid team that, you know, won a lot of games but never really looked dominant and a team that, when fully mm-hmm. healthy, has looked dominant, has controlled the pace of the game. I will I, I, I will because it came in as a question uh, to me from one of our listeners and I deemed it I'm not going to put it into the question section because it's uh, well frankly look you'll, you'll be able to guess immediately who it was that asked it said um, God not a great performance from Rogers. like is he gone next year and I said uh, <laughs> well I th- like you won what 13 games this year and are in yeah. the NFC Championship like like the sky is not falling in Green Bay, but you're not at the level of a San Francisco at the moment. Like, yeah. the inventiveness, the skill level, the number of weapons, like the fact that, like we said, oh, the ground game is working for them on one of their three or four backs that have all performed excellently in that system. So we don't even need to use our all-pro tight end or our quarterback or really anything outside yeah. of just the run game, you know? Yeah, I think, like, you know, we've seen different teams react differently to this. If, if you're a Green Bay fan, what you're hoping is you'd have a situation like Denver after they got walked by the Seahawks in the Super Bowl, that they go around and they go, where, why did we lose this game? Where do we need to bulk up significantly? And from this, they might say they need to like maybe a little bit more help along the defensive line and a, a, definitely a linebacker, but we need to build some stuff around Rodgers while he's still in the kind of form that Peyton Manning was when he was early in his Denver career. And, you know, if you have a good 
organization. I think at Gutenkunst um, and LaFleur, they have two guys I think that you can trust to be at least good or at least, yeah. or perhaps even better. They can do that. And like, I know we haven't really talked about the 49ers, and obviously we're going to talk about the Super Bowl preview, but like, yeah, like the Shanahan like zone blocking scheme, which I always bring up a lot, this is just a, like a, a piece of resistance of that. That, that scheme at its height where basically, you know, outside of the first quarter, Jimmy G was basically rendered completely irrelevant and to be honest, he did a couple of throws like a couple of throws he missed were, were pretty bad but Raheem Mostert, like he's obviously not the greatest like running back in the world, he, he's been on like three other teams before this, but in the zone blocking scheme, you just need to be, it's a one cut scheme if you, you, you know where the gap is and where it's schemed up, you go through the gap and Raheem Mostert has kind of a fluidity and a quickness to him that really, when he gets to the second level, he's, he showed again and again the capability to get to the end zone from far out to kind of take advantage of those big play opportunities when the ZBS opened them up for him. And in this game, that was just so dominant again and again, back-breaking for this Green Bay defense, which had, to be fair, been bad against the run in general this year, that, you know, then Jimmy Garoppolo completely relevant, and the defense didn't really have to do that much, though they were great when they needed to be for most cases. Like, I think Richard Sherman, you know, he, he got burnt once for Devontae Adams' long throw and then got a pick late on, so... Yeah, but, like, this is the thing that was killing me, was that, like, you saw on that that big one against Sherman, they're like, that's the kind of thing that they should be doing with Adams that would actually get him open because he has the crisp route running of being able to get separation there. If you start him, you know, behind the sticks or anything, he's not, he's not, he's not a speed separation guy. Like, just, they seem to be misusing, ah, it just, sorry, it just annoyed me a lot because I thought that they would, I thought they put up a better fight to be honest. Like, do you thought, to be honest, like Adams, like he still got 140 yards, he didn't misuse him that badly, but yeah, maybe, <laughs> They could, have gone, they could have went for that a little bit more, but I think, you know, given the, I think to a certain extent, both what happened in the game, but perhaps definitely on reputation, they, they perhaps didn't feel like they didn't want to go to that deep ball game because they were afraid that Aaron Rodgers was going to get absolutely smashed if San Francisco started sniffing that out and expecting it to happen. Yeah. I think San Francisco has kind of got used to, to not having to defend too much against that that much because, you know, they, they, they're expecting that the other quarterback is going to be off his mark off his time because the Nick Bowes and the gang are, are coming forward no quickly. of course so essentially so, now, when, we're, when we're looking at these two games and we won't do a full preview we'll do that next week but what we're looking at then from our for our upcoming Super Bowl championship is Kansas City Chiefs team where the offense looked insane and the defense is rounded into a nice solid form was hard hitting and they look just comprehensively better than their competition and then on the other side you have a San Francisco's team that looked like realistically outside of the poor running back who had to go for 200 yards no one had to break a sweat to beat a 13-3 and team that they were meeting in the final with a solid defense at slightly more questions maybe on, on, on offense because what we've seen in the last little bit has been hiding Jimmy G because he's had a couple of mistakes a few times that he has played but an utterly dominant and very different from how the Titans do it run game with kind of that like you're saying that zone blocking and that kind of side to side speed rather than necessarily power running up the middle like this is this is a beautiful set of teams to be watching in the Super Bowl final yeah like I think objectively uh, with perhaps the exception of Baltimore you're looking at the two uh, best teams in the NFL I think like Baltimore on their day could take on both of these teams but I think outside that you're looking at the two best teams I think you're looking at on KC obviously the long history there and obviously Pat Mahomes we want to see him on the biggest stage and in the 49ers you're just seeing a complete fully ready to go team 
had an opportunity to see if Jimmy G can do a Tom Brady and even if he's not the star of the show, still managed to guide them perhaps to uh, a long-awaited Super Bowl after a few years. Not as many years as KC, but a few years since their last opportunity. Yeah. Uh, no, of course. So, so no, that'll be that'll be fun. So what we'll do is we'll take a couple of questions from the listeners, and then we're going to preview the big game from this weekend upcoming, the Pro Bowl. So first question comes in. It says, "Are there any other changes you'd make to the Pro Bowl?" So this is in relation to there's they're trying out some new rule changes in the Pro Bowl. So the first one is this onside kick alternative that's been talked about a bit. So I think it's you start from your own twenty five on a fourth and fifteen, and then basically if you make the if you make the first down you can keep the ball uh, what's the other one again basically they're, they're not doing any kickoffs in this game you're either choosing a touchback uh, the, a classic touchback or you're choosing to do a 4 and 15 on your own 25 and if you convert it then you basically keep the ball so that's replacing the onside quick kick effectively and then there's a very minor uh, less stringent false start rule for wide receivers basically giving more flexibility to kind of you know, move around a little bit more without activating the false start rules. Okay, um, fair enough. So, you know, other rule changes, well, I'm going to take inspiration from, uh, no doubt, the best upcoming uh, league this year, 2020, <laughs> the XFL. Like, it's kind of chance to talk about the XFL early as well. Like, there's kind of three rules I'm kind of like looking at from the XFL that I think are quite interesting. I think first, the overtime rules, I think they're kind of going into... Uh, like they're using basically a five-round shootout of two-point conversions, kind of like a penalty shootout. Ah. Or, or I would like like to see like the college football play out, like uh, like overtime rules as well would be quite fun as well. Now, obviously, the chance of having overtime in the Pro Bowl is pretty low anyway, but if such a scenario did happen, you might as well make it a bit fun. Or perhaps the, like overtime should just be replaced by a skills challenge of some description. Yeah. Uh, other XFL, XFL rules to keep an eye on going forward are the points after touchdown. They're getting rid of kicking after the extra point. And basically, you can choose from one, two, or three extra points depending how far you're willing to go out for the equivalent of a two point conversion. Oh, okay, I like That'd be that. pretty fun, in my opinion. Yeah. And then finally, the double forward pass is just a really minor one, but basically, in the XFL, you you're allowed to make two, two forward passes as long as you're behind the line of scrimmage, of course, when you make each of the passes. That's a cool thing. I'd like to see that in the Pro Bowl. It would suit the occasion very much. That's, I'm not sure how that good would be in during the regular season, but during the Pro Bowl, hell yeah, open up the playbook, let more crazy things happen, and forget these kind of boring rules that stop one plays happening. Allow fumbles forward. No, of course, of course. I think know, just replicate all the most ridiculous plays you can and uh, have a bit of fun with it. Like to steal one from, I think it, I think it's Dave Damashek has talked about this one before, but I also thought it was a great one. That um, you know, they have these very specialized players for punting and for 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 for, for kicking, and that uh, like they're like the game was never designed to have these specialist little willowy players who are just kickers. So the anyone who comes on to kick has to have played at least ten other downs in the game. So it means like all these like hundred and forty five pound punters suddenly need to come out and play a couple of snaps at linebacker or something. It would be a uh, be a bit of fun or alternatively you just end up with a load of like really really hench built uh, punters instead who are like able to double job <laughs> it as safeties I think that, that, that could be good fun also kind of like your skills challenge type thing for the tiebreaker but what we do is you know the tic-tac-toe kicking competition they have yeah <laughs> so what you do is on the extra point the guys have to have to kick it and Behind, there's there's that nine screen section and behind each of them there's some kind of either 
like positive or negative outcome like you uh, like a multiplier or a or, or a divider or like you know two extra points or like minus three points and just completely <laughs> fuck with it and like you know add a bit of randomness in okay next question was expected storylines for the super bowl build up what do you buy and what do you not buy and we'll go into most of this next week so this is like you know what what are the what are they going to be talking about so obviously the defense, number one defense versus number one offense or whatever they want to look at it that way. That one was kind of fun because we were discussing this off air that um, actually the Chiefs have scored less points than the 49ers and the Chiefs have allowed less points than the 49ers. So actually you could invert that, uh, although there's probably something to be said for maybe doing that by pair drive rather than just as an absolute figure, you know? Um, I, like, to be fair, like, you know, the typical things are going to go up, like Pat Mahomes is going to star a lot. Kind of know what these things are. I think Kansas City obviously a bit more star wattage um, than San Francisco, which is a more of a good overall solid team. Uh, mm-hmm. Shanahan will obviously be looking to get that Super Bowl um, after the disaster he went after he left uh, when when he had the twenty eight three in Atlanta. <laughs> obviously, he wasn't the head coach, but that, yeah, that was his offense that shut down. I think I think one that. You know, probably as a KC fan, you don't want to hear about too much, but I think it is a, like it is worth pointing out that like Kansas City do have a number of players on their roster who have more questionable pasts, yep. um, such as Tyreek Kill, such as Frank Clark. So you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens regarding them, how they talk about it. Like to be fair to Tyreek Kill, I know his his behavior has certainly not been up to it, but he's generally been quite open about you know trying to be a better person. Uh, Frank Clark uh, less so so I think you know will they be put on the stage will, will they be asked to, to talk about their past it's going to come up it's going to be interesting and of course you know uh, I'll let you talk about this more but I think you know it'll be great to hear and, and cheer for and root for and hear all the good stories about Andy Reid uh, during the week like oh yeah uh, I think if anyone that deserves a Super Bowl it's Andy Reid um, so you know, I'm looking forward to hearing all the the, the stupid Andy Reid stories. Oh, of course, like he's know, like the the my even favorite. the one after the game. Yeah, where they said, "What did you do to celebrate?" I went, I got a cheeseburger, and I went to sleep. <laughs> he's, he's some man. He's like he's a spirit animal. Yeah, the one actually one that I'm already getting a little bit sick of, and I know it's going to be pumped into a lot. Is going to be uh, Kittle versus Kelsey, the two top tight ends in the league facing off against each other. And you're like, well, they're never on the pitch at the same fucking time. Like they're not really facing off against each other. But um, yeah, that'll yeah. be fun. And the final, we'll we'll take this as the final question. We'll save the rest for the um, for the next podcast. Looking at the way these teams who are doing well are going, do you think people will start team development going at run heavy or stay in the speed pass stuff? So this is essentially, yeah, like we saw the Titans, they leaned heavily on the run and, you know, kind of play action-y stuff and kind of very old school football. Baltimore, it's a different type. It's a much more modern system, but it's still, you know, they're the first team in, what, 40 years to rush more than they passed for. Uh, you saw the Bills even doing well with their with their run game, more so than their passing game. And then on the other side, you see the likes of the Chiefs, to a lesser extent, the Texans. The other... 40% of Baltimore's offense where it's all kind of, you know, speed finesse uh, kind of stuff. So like, yeah, I, 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 my, my take is I don't, I don't imagine this will massively change any team's mindset right now because, you know, 
at, at any given point, you're normally going to be three or four years into a development plan as a GM to what kind of system you're going to build. But it might influence, you know, GMs who are now starting rebuilds or like, say, like a Miami. Do they now reconsider how they go about their roster building? there is that there's a diversity of different ways to succeed in the NFL right now and that the biggest strength that you can have uh, is twofold. One is diversity, make sure you're not too one-dimensional. I think we saw in the playoffs that teams like Minnesota and Seattle, um, when shorn of their, their plan A, can look a little bit uh, like a little bit less effective, although Seattle has, has the, like the break-in case of emergency Russell Wilson magic, but like in general you know, having flexibility is useful. Uh, like San Francisco have changed how they're playing all year, depending on injuries and stuff like that. And the second is, it's basically related to that, is it's all about maximizing the talent you have. Like, you know, there's been talk about Bill Belichick and Joe Judge mentioned it way in his New York Giants thing. You know, don't tell me what you can't do. Tell me what you can do. And we'll figure out how to make use of that talent. In today's NFL, you know, you have all these players of all these different sizes and ways. You know, even at the quarterback position, like someone like Lamar Jackson, like the best coaches, the best teams, they see what they have, they see the special talents that they have, and they make use and they build a team around them. You know, in Kansas City, you got like you know, a ridiculous player like Patrick Mahomes. They built a team that can take advantage of his ability to destroy teams downfield. Uh, but also give him a tight end that can allow them to break them down underneath all the time. Uh, in Lamar, you saw something even more dramatic around his specific skill sets. In, in Arizona, you saw some success for Kyler Murray in that unique offense um, with Cliff Kingsbury. So I think in, in today's NFL, it's all about using what you have, not going, this is my game plan, you have to fit into it. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you go away. I think in today's NFL, that's really what separates the winners from the losers. No, of course. And sure, we'll leave that there for now. We'll pop across and we'll start our preview of the Pro Bowl. Pro Bowl hype! Pro Bowl hype! Okay, so uh, we'll start by just saying our picks for this one. So you've gone for the NFC and I've gone for the AFC, both out of, you know, loyalty and... Objective facts, Connor. I'm sorry, what? Ah, excuse you, Mina. We had this discussion. I, I, I believe that we win the game of the trenches, and everyone knows that the Pro Bowl is the most hard-fought game of them all. So, <laughs> what we'll do is we'll, we'll go, we'll go position by position, and we'll call which ones we think are going to, uh, which ones are stronger positions. Okay. So, quarterback for the AFC, we've got Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, and Ryan Tannehill. For the NFC, we've got Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, and Kirk Cousins. So. Initially, I'm just going to say, I think with Lamar Jackson there, ah, yeah, I think I shade towards the AFC one in this, but it's very, very hard to not take the group that has Russell Wilson in it. You know, Lamar, he is the MVP. He's had a ridiculous year. And to be fair, his skill set is basically... It's perfect for the Pro Bowl. ...to do the kind of ridiculous stuff. Exactly. Like, he's going to be doing ridiculous stuff. Like, John Harbaugh is the uh, coach of the AFC. Uh, sorry, spoiler alert. Uh, but I imagine he's had some, like, crazy plays in his back pocket that he's like, eh, these probably won't work in live football, but sure, why not give it a chance? And, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's a good chance to get them out, play some of those fun ones with Lamar Jair, and essentially kind of advertise to some of these players who, if any of them happen to be coming out as free agents, like, look, we can have a lot of fun here, you know? Yeah, I agree with the AFC, the, the edge here too. I think Russell Wilson, I love him, obviously, he's a great quarterback, but those three guys, like, even Ryan Tannehill just had that extra little level of dynamics yeah. compared to their... Like, Drew Brees looked tired towards the back end, and Kirk Cousins, like, 
these are all winners, so he can't he can't beat them. <laughs> Run, running back, uh, AFC, you've got Nick Chubb, Derek Henry, and Mark Ingram, and the NFC, you've got Dalvin Cook, Ziggy Elliott, and Alvin Kamara. So I'm going to have to shade to the NFC on this one. I like the AFC's guys that they're you know there's a lot there's a lot of like power running there, which is not really what this is going to be based on. Yeah, like I think like Derek Henry might be the best of all of them, especially because Christian McCaffrey is, is, is up to yeah. get out of injury. Um, definitely a real injury. Only, you know, obviously everyone's playing the Pro Bowl. They, they have to be seriously injured to opt out of it. Uh, but I think like that, like Cook and Elliot are just so good and have had such good years. And then you bring in Alvin Kamara as your replacement and you're like, he didn't have the best year, but we all know Alvin Kamara. If there's space, which would be in the Pro Bowl, there's always space because the blocking is so good. Uh, no other reason. Um, he's <laughs> capable of doing really, really exciting things there. So uh, I think on the running back front, yeah, I'll give it to the NFC as well. Yeah. It's close. Uh, fullback Patrick Mashar versus CJ Ham. I don't even know what team CJ Ham plays for. Uh, he's Minnesota, I believe. Like to be fair, you know, you're replacing your fullback, the most important position on the NFC, because Kyle Juszczyk uh, has to go to the Super Bowl. Like, if Kyle Juszczyk was there, I'd I'd one hundred percent be those guys. I'm gonna go with Patrick yeah. Mashar just because I know him <laughs> at least. Yeah. Plus, he's a two-way player uh, in yeah. the Pro Bowl. So I'm, true. I'm, I'm looking. If he's not playing two-way in the Pro Bowl, That's then true. I don't know what John Harbaugh's up to. No, no, no. He'd be messing it up. Wide receiver is an interesting one. So we've got Keenan Allen, Jarvis Landry, and Cortland Sutton, and DJ Chark for the uh, for the AFC. We've got Michael Thomas, Amari Cooper, Kenny Galladay, and Devontae Adams for the NFC. So, like, I take... I, yeah, I think Thomas over Allen is fair... Landry over Cooper, maybe? Yeah, like, to be very obviously, a lot of people have dropped out. Julio Jones, Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin from the NFC, and DeAndre Hopkins and Tyreek Hill uh, from the AFC. But, yeah. like, yeah, I think I think Cooper's the only one that I would probably take the AFC. And, like, that's Jarvis Landry isn't a replacement, obviously, he made the Pro Bowl. But I think, like, I'd take Galladay and Adams over Sutton and Chark. Like, Sutton had a good year. I think he's a really impressive young player, but, mm. like, Kenny Galladay had a great year. He had doing stuff with really bad quarterbacks. And Devontae Adams, as we talked about, like he's a great player. Mm. I, I don't know why he was so low in the Pro Bowl uh, rankings in the first. I know he had an injury, but he when he's played, he's been good. Yeah. Amari, Amari Cooper, to be honest, he feels like a little out of place here, to be honest. He does just a little touch, to be honest. I, like, I imagine it's just because, you know, there it's a combination of skill and popularity. So there yeah, is that element to it as that well. Cowboy fans, like, whatever. Yeah, yeah, it'd be, it'd be an interesting one if it wasn't for the injuries slash uh, Super Bowl restrictions. That would make it a little bit more interesting because New Hopkins and Tyree Kill make that a more interesting foursome. But uh, tight end, Mark Andrews and Jack Doyle versus Jared Cook and Austin Hooper. Obviously, both sides are missing their Super Bowl. One's in Kittle and Kelsey and Zach Ertz is injured. Like, Mark Andrews is very good. Jack Doyle is meh. Yeah. Jared Cook is... Eh, Austin Hooper was statistically good, but I've never really rated him all that much. Yeah, like, like I, I, I suppose to a certain extent, how much do you give Andrews credit for being good, and how much is it just due to the fact that he was in that offense where uh, yeah. he had miles to run into, and Jack Doyle, yeah, they must have run out of options, basically, uh, through injuries and stuff like that, because he's just... Like I, I didn't think he had a great year at all. To be honest, he was like no. Like I would have, I would have expected maybe even like a Tyler Eifert or something yeah. in here instead. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd nearly take this as a push to be honest, because I just, yeah, I don't, yeah, I, 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 I don't think either have a particularly strong tight end group. T- 
tackles. So we have Ronnie Staley and Laramie Tunsil for the AFC with Orlando Jr. in the backup. Teron Smith, Teron Armstead and Lane Johnson for the NFC. Uh, now the NFC have had a little bit of injury there as well for Lane Johnson. Also Orlando Brown coming in for the AFC is because of injury. I like... I'd probably go NFC. Like I think those two guys have a have a better track record and, and they're just kind of more solid players. Like Ronnie Stas- Staley is like a great right tackle, but and Larry Tunsil obviously he's a he's an improving player and he obviously improved that Houston line though it was obviously shit to begin with. Uh, but I think Tyron Smith, Terran Armstead given yeah. their I think track S- record. Smith Smith on his own kind of makes me higher yeah. on that side. So I'd go NFC. Guard is definitely AFC though. Marshall Yonda, Quentin Nelson, Joe Batonio uh, versus Turner, Pete, and Warford. Like, yeah. Yonda is, like, phenomenal at this position. Nelson is very, very, very good. So they're your two starters, and I'm happy to take those over uh, any of the any of the other options that yeah, are on he, there. He, like, like, most of those uh, guards for the NFC are, are due to injury, but even mm. their starters wouldn't have been anywhere near that set. Like, Yonda and Nelson, that's a dream guard set. Like... That's amazing. No, of course. And then we have uh, the centers. So we have Rodney Hudson and Ryan Kelly uh, versus Jason Kelsey and Travis Frederick. So this is an interesting one because Hudson has been playing very well. And Kelsey has also been playing very well. Not as strong this year, but still very good. But I think, is he retiring this year? Or, I think so. Yeah. No, he was, he, was, I, I, he was talking very... Uh, morosely uh, kind of reflecting on his on, on his time off. it sounded a little bit like it was a, a precursor to it but maybe he's going to do one more season or something like that it, I remember he was in the media talking about his body breaking down and stuff like that so yeah Hudson Kelly they're both good what's what's Frederick like I don't really know a huge much about him yeah so he's the, the Cowboys center he's been really good when he played and it was, it was actually a really good Feel a good story that he kept back from his like, chronic disease and ended up having a really good season. So I, like, I would probably take Kelsey and Frederick over Hudson and Kelly. Like, it's pretty close, but I think those two guys once again can have a track record. Where, yeah, we've got. Um, yeah, we've seen, we've seen more out of them. Based on this season, it's pretty even, but I think on track record, you probably take. Yeah, two guys. no, so we'll go NFC on that one. Okay, we're over onto the defense now. So defensive end, do we know? Are, 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 are we playing a fixed format here or are they swapping between 3-4-4-3 three, four, four, three and kind of over-unders and stuff? Uh, I, ma- it's I imagine it's mix and match. Yeah, it's like it'll be 6-2-5 uh, uh, or something. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Defensive <laughs> end. players in the field. Defensive end, Clayus Campbell, Melvin Ingram and Josh Allen for the AFC and Cam Jordan, Danielle Hunter and Everson Griffin for the NFC. Now, obviously, the NFC are missing a few players because of the Super Bowl and the AFC are missing one or two due to injury here. This is an interesting one because I think, bizarrely, I like the two and the three, I think, even more than the one on the AFC side. Like, Ingram and Allen, I like a lot. I didn't watch a huge amount of Clayus Campbell this year, so I don't know how good he's been playing. To a certain extent, like like the, the there's much more power I think on the the AFC side. Like Clay's Campbell, we know is almost more like a, a defensive end, defensive tackle hybrid. Mm. Uh, Josh Allen has been a beast this year. He's just such a physical freak, um, and he's gonna be really exciting to see his development uh, over the next few years in Jacksonville. I mean, I'm just like it's a good solid player replacing Joy Bosa in this case. But I do think I, I I'm personally gonna go for like the more technical proficient players like I think Cam Jordan has been a stud for many years now in New Orleans um, and then you have Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin I think they had a great year for Minnesota 
Uh, and I think both of them, Daniil Hunter in particular, is kind of very underrated here. So I think, yeah, I think in both these cases, it's hard not to not to give to them. Now, obviously, the problem with the defensive end position is that it's it's kind of mixed up with the passers with the OLBs. But uh, yeah, I think based on what we're given here, mm. I'd give it to the NFC just about. Uh, fair enough. I'll, I'll let you have that. I'd, 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 be, I'd be close to that, but okay. Defensive <laughs> tackle: Cam Hayward, Geno Atkins, and Jarrell Casey versus Fletcher Cotts. Grady Jarrett and Kenny Clark. Obviously, Chris Jones for the AFC side is in the Super Bowl, and Aaron Donald has opted out, which would have made it a much more clear decision if you have Aaron Donald on one side. I think. Yeah, I, I always find it hard sometimes to because because you've you've got you've got both types. You've got your kind of space eaters do their jobs and do nothing flashy, and the ones who are going to start like getting push up the middle and stuff like that as well. So I think it depends ideologically on what we want out of our defenses in this Pro Bowl. You know. I think Fletcher Cox is probably the best of the bunch here. And yeah. Jarrett was okay this year. I think Geno Atkins is a very underrated player, and Cam Hayward is just one of those classic Trojan type players who just does the things you want every week. And then Casey and Clark are both replacements, and both are definitely a step down. Yeah. Um, so for me. Yeah, we'll give it to the NFC probably just for yeah, the. Yeah, just, just for Fletcher Cox, yeah. Cox, basically. Next up, outside linebacker. So uh, we have for the AFC, Von Miller. TJ Watt and Matt Judon. I'm surprised. I, I know. I know. This is probably the popularity faction. Von Miller played well at the back end of the season, but didn't have the world's greatest season. Let's be honest. Uh, Chandler Jones, Shaq Barrett, and Zadarius Smith for the NFC side after a Khalil Mack opt out. Like I'm, I'm looking at that, and but could be wrong, but I'm leaning heavy on the AFC side on that match. Like, yeah, I, I think like Chandler Jones had a great year, but. Uh you know, he, he was the sack leader and Shaq Barr, sorry, Shaq Barr was the sack leader and Chandler Jones was the best, uh, was right behind him. But I kind of feel like they're both great sack artists. Like in third and long, I would probably take both those guys as high level. But if you're talking about complete offensive linebackers who make game changing plays on every single down, mm. yeah, it's hard to go beyond Von Miller and TJ Watt, those two guys are just all pros every year. Did you walk going forward, certainly, and Bob Miller. Yeah, I, I'm happy to say the AFC would definitely get there there. Like, I, Chandler Jones and Shaq Barrett, both great sack artists, but maybe aren't yeah. quite as complete as those two guys. Yeah, and like we saw, kind of like TJ Watt and his performance in that Pittsburgh defense and all that. Ah, yeah, like it's, it's solid. Inside linebacker, Darius Leonard and Tremaine Edwards for AFC, Jaden Smith and Eric Kendricks for the, uh, for the NFC. Now, this is one that's got a lot of injuries that's causing the issue. So Bobby Wagner isn't coming in for it. Dante Hightower is out. And Luke Keekley has retired. So that's kind of shot down a lot of these. Darius Leonard is, I think, the only original intended player who is yeah. at the inside linebacker position. And let's be honest, they're only giving us two of them. So I'm imagining they are targeting kind of a 4-3 kind of situation here. Because yeah. you'd, you'd want a bit like more depth. If it was obviously it was, if it was the original starters, it would be NFC. But given yeah. what we have now at this point, I think the AFC. Darius Leonard, um, he was injured for a bit of it, but whenever he's played, I've just been amazingly uh, like uh, I've just been amazed by him. And like Jalen Smith, that that feels like a name decision. He had a great twenty eighteen, but his twenty nineteen was definitely a step time. And then Tremaine Edmonds, Kendricks, they're both good players in a different way. I give that a push, so I'm happy to give that to the AFC. Yeah. Looking at the quarterback position, uh, Stefan Gilmore, Tredavious White, Marlon Humphreys and Joe Hayden for the AFC. Darius Slay, Kyle Fuller, Shaq Griffin and Xavier Rose for the NFC. 
yeah, so, this is easy AFC like Stephen yeah. Gilmore and Travis White were the were the two All Pro like uh, selections. And yeah, that was not even close. Like yeah, like the AFC wins itself like down and down. And even if you had Lattimore and Sherman and Ramsey, uh, still wouldn't be close in my opinion. I think the AFC. Those yeah. two guys have just been amazing this year. Have a pretty heavy over the top of them, and uh, that's not to not to discount like there's good players there in the NFC as well, but just more the, the they happen to have the the step above there. Joe Hayden is a bit of a surprise, but he's a replacement. I wouldn't I wasn't expecting to see him at the Pro Bowl, but I suppose again, kind of a well known name as well. Uh, free safety, we have uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, Earl Thomas versus Xavier Rowe, or sorry, versus Buda Baker and Eddie Jackson. Like, I shade towards the AFC here just because of how good Minka Fitzpatrick was, but I also know that that's balanced with Earl Thomas, who has not... He played decently at times, but has not played his best this season. And like Buda Baker and Eddie Jackson both had good years, but neither of them have really... You've never heard of them standing out as being like all pro, like destroying the world level. So I think Minka Fitzpatrick, you know, after that trade was just killing people. And Earl Thomas, yes, he's probably not the player he used to be, but he's still has that like kind of talent there and mm. yeah I think just looking at this I, I would give to the AFC yeah and then finally we have our strong safety uh, Jamal Adams versus Harrison Smith Jamal Adams was like the heart and soul of that Jets defense yeah, it was. Uh, I think Harrison Smith's a good player but Jamal Adams is the only reason to watch the Jets yeah <laughs> and now we get on to the most important part obviously the, the special teams um, good god I'm not even sure Brett, Brett Kern versus Tress Way uh, uh Tressway has a better track record and he has you know he was on the Mazungus so being a good player while oh yeah well that, yeah, that, that, that counts for double essentially yeah <laughs> so we'll give mm. that to the NFC yeah god it's gonna hurt me to say this but uh, AFC for kicker I think Justin Tucker versus Will Lutz can't beat the Tuck like you, no. you just have to pray that they do get rid of all this kicking stuff from the NFL and then Tucker can finally be got rid of yeah God, and I, 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 I think I mentioned this in an earlier episode. I forgot how recently he was actually drafted. That it's actually he's going to be around for a long time. Return specialist Andre Roberts and Deontay Harris. Uh, this is because Mikael Hardman is now in the Super Bowl. He was given the uh, return specialist, which is a very unusual one for him to get because he didn't do all that much in the return game, but he did catch a couple of touchdowns. So it seemed like kind of a make weight, but. I give it the NFC. Like I think Deontay Harris was really exciting for for yeah. the uh, Saints, and yeah, I think you. McCall Hardman would make it closer, but I think Deontay Harris, he had a good season. No, of course. Uh, spe- special teams. Is it just special teamer? Yeah, just special teamer. Yeah, Matthew, Ma- Slater, Matthew Slater versus Cordell Patterson. It has to go Slater, I think. He had a... Yeah, all round, yes. Though Patterson, like, he is just an amazing kickoff specialist. So yeah. He's... But then put him in instead of Deontay Harris. Like, why do they... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's like uh, a terrible punt returner, but he's all right. an amazing kickoff. Basically, like he's the last kickoff returner basically left in the NFL. <laughs> like uh, so highly like, specialized. Yeah. So we'll get to that just later because he shows up everywhere. Yeah. And uh, Morgan Cox versus Rick Lovato. Uh, you know, it's, it's a tough decision, but... Uh, we'll say push. <laughs> yeah, we'll push that one. We'll push. So I think I think this has a shading to the AFC on our on our positional rankings, but obviously you know it'll come down to coaching and performance on the day, and just whether the whether the event is too big for some of the players, you know. Yeah, like I think you know you know the Pro Bowl is all about heart, all about effort, and all about taking advantage of the chance. It's all about execution, and you know I think you know I trust that my NFC boys can get it done 
in the most important game of the year. Yeah, no, it should be it should be exciting. Now I think there'll be there'll be a lot of fun. There's a lot of lot of, lot of fun to be had with a lot of these players. It should yeah, be very exciting. The only thing better than the Pro Bowl is the Pro Bowl Skills Challenge. So make sure you tune into that all this week. Oh yeah, dodgeball, baby, dodgeball. <laughs> um, yeah, we should we should have, we should have done an entire thirty minute breakdown on uh, who has wh- which part of these rosters will be best suited for different skill challenge sections. But uh, look, uh, Con- Connor, I have to be honest. Some things transcend analysis; they're just too pure for that type of approach. It's true. It's true. So suppose. We'll finish up with that for now. Uh, any plans for the rest of the weekend, other than obviously tearing over Pro Bowl tape? Yeah, like Pro Bowl tape's going to take up most of it, but uh, no, other than that, just probably uh, taking a relaxing week, building up the, the energy for the uh, the Super Bowl, so mm. I'm looking forward to all of that. Yeah, me too. I've got it. I've got it booked off already. So uh, looking forward. <laughs> I'm I'm, cur- I'm currently on the hunt for a venue because it'll be kicking off at uh, just after three a.m. local time here. So it'll run like three till seven or whatever. So you um, go to the American University. They have to have somewhere that you can watch the fucking Super Bowl. Yeah. So what we're doing is I've talked to one of the one of the bar managers here who we watch the football in there at the moment. Uh, he said he might have an idea of where we might be able to get somewhere sorted. So I think uh, our backup option is going to be like uh, rent a suite in one of the hotels and just go like <laughs> go party in the suite, and watch it there. <laughs> but yeah, no, it should it should, it should be all right. It's, I, I wouldn't mind watching the bar, but I also don't want your man to be there and be like, well, I guess I'm just sitting here watching football from three a.m. to seven a.m. and then going <laughs> home to sleep. Like, because if he's going to do it, I want him to come along and join us and actually enjoy the game, you know. Uh, but we'll see. We'll get that sorted. I'm sure I'll have that cleared up by next week. Uh, yeah, just 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 depressed staring at the fact that if I was in Dublin, I could fly to Florida to Miami for about 400 euros. Uh, but uh, because I'm over here, I, I, I can't. It'll be about a grand and I'd be flying for well over a day and a half. It'd be very, very difficult to do. <laughs> yeah, no, I know that feel like, uh, I remember the Seahawks, Super Bowl, the one they won, uh, I couldn't get out of work the next day, so I had to be stuck in court that time. So I was really, uh, I know those feels, man. Second, second. But uh, no, it'll be good. So as always, uh, send us in your questions on Facebook, Twitter, all of those different internet places. Or like by post, if you can find our addresses. I'm sure it will only be kind of creepy if you figure that one out. Um, <laughs> Connor, that Irish fella somewhere in Iraq. Uh, <laughs> On post would get it to you. On post would. Oh, they would. They would indeed. And then they'd make sure that everyone knows about it online. But I suppose <laughs> for now, it's uh, bye from myself. Bye from Ronan. Bye. It's been all four quarters. And we'll chat to you next week. Robo hype.